Hi, my name is Martin Purnell and welcome to Off Grid Christianity, a weekly podcast for those who go or don't go to church and for those that are disinterested. Our email address, should you wish to contact us, is ogc at accessradio.biz and check out our Facebook page, Off Grid Christianity. On today's Off Grid Christianity is a DJ who is based in Cleveland, Ohio and is helping teenagers to find and use music as a way of improving their life. But how do you do this? What is cypher-style pedagogy? What is butterfly jetpack in relation to a children's hospital in Cleveland? So many questions to ask him, and how he got his name Doc as well. gives me great pleasure today to welcome DJ Doc Harrell. Doc, thank you for joining us today. Got so much to ask you, as I've already said. You're based in Cleveland, Ohio. For those who don't really know where Ohio is in America, whereabouts is it, sir? Uh, the, it's it's the heart. So if you if you look at the country, um, it's right where the heart would be, and it's kind of shaped like a heart. And uh, yeah, I just feel like the people here, you know, we we have we have heart. So yeah, come visit Ohio. That's a good answer. Cleveland, what's it famous for? Uh, well, I mean, outside of LeBron James, and uh, the stoplight was invented here. Was it the stoplight yeah, and the traffic stoplight. lights? Traffic light was invented here. Was yeah. it? Um, yeah, Cleveland's a good city, man. It's a good city. Well, we'll hear more about why you're involved with uh, Cleveland later on, if that's all right. But before we do that, we need to more, know more about you, good sir. So the usual five questions. If you're sitting comfortably, fingers on the buzzers, yeah. no conferring. Let's go. If you could invite anybody from history, Doc, for an evening meal, alive or dead, so that you could ask them questions, who... Would it be? Yeah, I think uh, there's so many that I would like to sit with. And I think, uh, well, th- there's one person that, the I guess the reason why I chose to mention this person today is sometimes I feel like I'm the Mr. Rogers of hip hop in a way because of, of how we use hip hop in, in our youth programming. And um, yeah, I would love to, I, every time I watch one of Mr. Rogers' uh, documentaries, <clears throat> the ones with him in it, the ones that were have actors in it, um, I, I find myself crying at the end. And it's just something about the way that he perceived television and channeled it directly toward that one student, that one child that was watching the head that maybe was afraid of something that day mm. and that's that's who he was speaking to when he was on screen um yeah and i just felt like the diligence that he had to like be a tv star that you wouldn't quite expect um and i grew up watching mr rogers too um so intrigued by like by who he is and what he what he's done so, yeah i would just really like to um ask just kind of like go behind the scenes with yeah, him yeah. and ask questions on how how things actually worked and I'm going to know how many hours he stayed up late at night preparing um he I know that this is interesting to me because as a hip hop artist I found myself in over the past 13 years um writing songs for my summer camp hip hop summer camps writing songs for the projects that I was yeah, yeah. like doing in a school and I know that Mr. Rogers also wrote a lot of the songs that that would be sung in the show um and that's that's a lot of writing for someone to do you don't think of a musician Mm. you think of a musician making 
you know, an album and putting out albums, doing concerts. You don't think of a musician writing songs for to be sung at on their own TV show or like me at the drug treatment center working with kids um, just to inspire them. And so, yeah, I just felt like totally two different styles of artists, but I felt so connected to him as an artist. And, and yeah, I just would love to sit and talk to Mr. Rogers. Well, do you know what? Most people I would have thought in England and Europe and the rest of the UK would say, don't think I've heard of Mr. Rogers before. And we most probably hadn't because he obviously didn't come over this way. Yeah. But two, three years ago, there was a film by Tom Hanks where he played yep. Mr. Rogers. Yeah. And that's when we first found out who he really was. And what, what, a, what a man he was. Absolutely yeah. brilliant. And he was a Christian yeah. as well, wasn't he, apparently? Yeah. 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 Good answer. Yes, yeah. I know, I man. I can't remember the name of the film now. Um, what's this catchphrase, Tom? Um, Won't you be my neighbor? Or was that, that it? That's right. it, yeah, yeah. Something like that. It's uh, Today in a Glorious Neighborhood or something in the film. It's worth checking out. Yeah. Tom Hanks. I mean, it's a brilliant yeah. film. Brilliant film. Thank you for that. Good answer. I haven't had that before. You're welcome. Uh, question two. Who is your favorite biblical character or favorite biblical story or favorite parable? Yeah. Uh, so I think one of the stories that captured my attention when I was a kid, when I was a teenager, uh, and now even as an artist, the David and Goliath story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like you got this, I don't know, what was portrayed as just this like runt of a kid that really didn't have maybe a chance. And of course, there's many ways you can look at the story and read yeah. read the story, but the, the way that I grew up reading the story was, you know, he didn't really kind of have a chance and, but he picked up this stone and flung it at this, the threat that was there. Um, and I, I'm not one to condone violence. So I'm, I'm kind of using the story in, in a metaphorical way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I think for me as a, again, as a hip hop artist, I started seeing, thinking of the songs I would write as stones that I was just picking them up to throw them at to, to like to make a difference in the world around me and I know that early and on in my career I tried so hard to like to be cool to write some rhymes that people would like um and it's just sharpening those skills over and over and over again for years and then fast forward in my late 20s and in my 30s I started getting to a point where I remember this one particular day when I actually haven't didn't write a song for almost I think almost ten years. I was doing more music than writing lyrics, and as a, as a rapper and as an MC, and so um, I started getting some opportunities, situations where I thought, oh, I can write this song to try to make a difference, and yeah. I I just picked up another stone and just threw it, and I, it was kind of like riding a bicycle in a way. I, I, I was, I didn't know if I'd be able to do it like I used to. Um, but I found I was actually better. And the older I get, and I tell this to, to older MCs now all the time is the older you get as a rapper, you think you're going to be respected less because hip hop is all about the young sound. And, um, but actually the older you get in hip hop, then the more wisdom you have to share. And, the more styles you've heard and tried. Yeah. Like I've heard, I've heard so many more styles than the young, my young students now, like they're caught in only the current style, but I, <laughs> I have so many styles I could pick from. And um, so 
yeah, I think um, that's just one of the stories that's impacted me just to have the confidence to say, yeah, I don't really know if this is going to, I don't really have a chance to like end racism, for example, but I have a chance to write a song and share it with some people in my community. And you know what? I'm going to go ahead and pick up the stone. I'm going to fling it out there and maybe God's going to be able to do something with that and, and make a change where change is needed. Yeah. Um, and yeah. So question three, if you were prime minister for the day, or I'll tell you what, you can be president of the United States for the day. How was that? Oh, good. Because I was going to say, what's the prime minister? I never yeah. heard of that. Oh, <laughs> and could change any law. Or Until this one show came on. And then I, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't, yes. Uh, president for a day. Say again? So if I'm the president for a day? Yeah, if you're right. president for the day and mm. could change any law or impose a new law, Doc Carroll, president, what would it be? Yeah. You'd have to institute um, hip hop in your school programming in every school across the country. Ah. Yeah, no. I mean that's not my real answer, but that's well, well, what's something that I think then? would be very helpful. It would be, but what's your other real it would answer? Be then? Okay, the other real answer is you might. Maybe this is not an actual answer either. But in thinking this through, I, I I've always been a very a visionary and also a very action oriented person. Yeah. I want in a way, like I really would like to get more involved in politics. Um, but I've spent most of my life just kind of like on the grind to trying to make a difference mm-hmm. in my own streets on, in my own neighborhood with the students on my street at the school that's up the street. Um, and sometimes I, I lose a little hope in, in laws being changed um, or the, or like I'm glad that there are those that that's their calling and that's what they work toward is laws to change that need to change. But for me, I lose track of all the laws because if I was president for a day, I could change a law. And then a few years later, that law could just change back. And so I personally, this is just me and my like style in life is I always first try to make change happen person to person. And I feel yeah. like I can hang around other people, again, in my neighborhood, in my city, who are different from me. Maybe we can make an impact and maybe because on each other. And for example, I could say I would like to end racism, for example. I'm not sure what law would do that. But I do know and I have experienced when when hearts and heads touch and and hearts are changed toward each other. That's, that's, that's a more permanent change. And, and maybe, you know, for some, and I think for me too, it sometimes it goes too slow that way, but that's where the real, the waves happen, I guess for me. So that's what I would, I don't know. I guess that was still, I didn't answer your question. Did I? Well, you've given us a a better understanding of uh, what, what makes you think. Um, And you certainly as a politician, obviously you've got the right heart for it. I'm going to ask you a personal question on this. How thick skinned are you? I don't know. I've been, I've been I've been trying to thicken my skin up more and more, but I don't know. That's a good that's a good question. Because I couldn't do it. And I guess there's another one too. Another angle, I guess, is when we run our hip hop programming in classrooms. The first thing we do is we put on the board behind us, real big, fresh code. And you know, there's a code wherever you go. You go in a neighborhood in Cleveland on the east side, there's a code. If you don't know that code, it might not be as as safe for you, for example. 
There's a code when you go into big meeting rooms and everyone's got suit and tie. There's law so, and there's laws in our in our you know different countries. Yeah, yeah. So there's different laws, different codes. And what we do, there's even laws in schools. But the first thing we do when we meet a new group of students is we say, "Yo, we want you to make the code because you, if you could write the the rules or laws for this classroom." And create your own community here under these laws that's going to make this a fresh, vibrant environment that you want to be in, that you feel safe, you feel loved, you could you could grow, you could be productive. Yeah. What would those be? And I think um, maybe there's something said there is uh, can, can we let some of the young people make some of the laws? Maybe that would help help us. Well, it was certainly uh, open to debate on that one. You're the president. You know, I'm just <laughs> I'll just be your press secretary. Yeah, whatever whatever you say, Mr. President, I'll do it. Uh, question four. <laughs> Outside of family events, what has been your most enjoyable day out, please, Doc? Oh, yeah. Um, this year, actually, I was able to go on a writing retreat with a good friend of mine. Got to shout him out. Quill the Messenger is his name. And we got away for two days and we just spent some time in quite kind of quiet. Yeah. But then of course we had our beats in our headphones and uh, it was just a writing retreat for us to, as artists, be able to reflect on our artistry and our message and what we're trying to put out into the world and just um, kind of delve into our history. And it, it was a lot of just quiet and him and I got to connect at meal times during the day and, and check in on what we were thinking and what we've been creating and yeah, I just, I love, I love the quiet and I love to be able to have time to actually like write. Um, and, and I don't always have that as a, as a nonprofit founder yeah. uh, and artist, I don't have enough time to write. So I love that. Brilliant. Great answer. Yeah. Thank you. Question five. What has been your most embarrassing moment then, please, Doc? Most embarrassing moment. Mm. I remember it was after I started our hip hop program and we ran our first hip hop summer camp with a group of kids in my neighborhood, ran the performance a couple blocks up the street from where I lived. This was in a neighborhood called Glenville in Cleveland. Um, now I was the only white uh, person that lived in the houses and among the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. We're right next to a college. So usually a lot of times I would get mistaken as like a college student or something like that. Um, and so we're at the, mar the farmer's market and I'm, I think probably the only white person there. Um, but what I was doing, doing that day was we got a chance to let our students perform. And so we had all of our students from the camp. It's our first camp. I, I was so proud of them. Like they're going to share their song they made about community vitality and what was fresh yeah. about our neighborhood. There's all these like vendors out there like grandmothers from the neighborhood that grew strawberries in their yard and they're selling their strawberries you had someone Brilliant. selling mushrooms and vegetables at the market and um i was kind of a newcomer to the neighborhood this is a historic um just amazing african-american history neighborhood in cleveland yeah. um also with a lot of economic challenges and um we through this the, this hip-hop camp for the students in the neighborhood and uh, at the show like I said earlier about Mr. Rogers writing songs, mm. I wrote a song, the theme song for our camp. And our camp was called Fresh Camp. I wrote a theme song. So it was the Fresh Camp theme song. It was all about the neighborhood and the students. And it was just kind of to open up for the students and then let them have at it. Um, I think it was probably the first time as a hip-hop concert at this farmer's market in, in a while. And I performed the song. 
I get done, I'm introducing the students. And then here comes the head of the market to come over to me. And she says, Hey, um, some of the vendors, they want to have a word with you after um, you're done, you know, your, your show's over. And I was just like, what, like about what? She was super concerned. She was like, they, you know, think that you said the N word on the microphone. And I'm like, yo, like here I am just like loving on these kids performing a song that's literally if you hear the song you you probably might say yeah that was a mr. mr. Rogers hip-hop song <laughs> um, and I at that moment I thought I, I guess like it just made me stop and I'm like how many of my neighbors here like heard that or thought they heard that from me and what do they think of me um, and and you can't I can't, there's no way for me to kind of just reach in and say, oh, dump button. Like, no, like you didn't really hear that and get our relationship back on new ground again. It's just, I'm, they had this opinion of me now. And um, how many other neighbors, like in my whole neighborhood, think this of me as I, as I walk the streets and um, am I, am I accepted here as the only white Mm -hmm. guy in the, in the neighborhood and stuff like that. Um, But I had all the kids on the side of me and I had to go and put on my like pumped up, happy, proud face and just like give them the best experience and let them share their song as I could within the background. I'm like, man, do all the adults here think that's what they think. Um, And then of course I had to, I had to have the conversation with them afterward. And yeah, it was just a, I don't embarrass. Yeah. I was, it was definitely embarrassment. um, But it also hit me to the core of like, what am I even doing here? Like, do I belong here? Like what I'm doing? Like, and, and of course I had to really work through that um, afterward and decide and know that just like what I said earlier is like, if you really think about it, this was no big deal. Like this was like that kind of misunderstanding is it's child's play to compare to what a lot of my black and brown neighbors have to go through on a on a normal basis. Yeah. So for me, you know, at the end of the day, it's nothing. It's, this is, this was no, no big deal at all, but it was, it was a big deal for me because I had to look those grandmothers and in the, in the eyes. And what was I going to say? Like, and I found myself like, I couldn't say, try to say, I did not say that because they heard it. Like there's no way that I can have them unhear it. Um, and so I, all I could do is just apologize. And I mean, I'm, I just wanted to apologize that, that that's what it sounded like. And, and, and it, and it makes me just move into the apologies of, of, of all, of all the reason of why they heard that and thought they heard that from a white guy standing here rapping in the neighborhood. Um, and yeah, so that was, that was, that was a really, that was a deep one. And, um, because in, in hip hop, yeah, it's, it's like that, the N word that we're talking about. Yeah. That is used so often. True, and it's it is true. it's it's actually, it's, from my understanding, over here the other side of the pond is that, that word is used by other people who are black. They can use it amongst their own their own selves now. But right. I suppose the main concern was that because you aren't black, you're white. You're not allowed to use that word. Well, yeah. Well, no. Well, heck no. <laughs> heck no. Yeah. I mean, it's. Yeah, for, I mean, no way, dude. And so what yeah, happened I think when, like, when you shared I, 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 what happened? Yeah. Um, luckily, I had some of the other like 
neighborhood leaders that were, they knew me and they were kind of able to stand by with me in the moment. Um, and that was helpful. Um, but yeah, I just, I, we just kept doing it, man. You know, I, like we kept, kept, I, I stayed and like I was saying before is like, where does the fight happen? And like, like in the, in the, let's talk about racism for a second. Yeah, yeah. Where does that, where does that change? Um, I, I just heard the word like such a horrible thing on social media earlier today of, of this one guy talking about um, basically how we all need to just separate for me. It's talk of separation. Um, And, and that is the the natural thing to do when like people butt heads and you have misunderstandings and you're like, Oh yeah, well that felt horrible. I'm out of here. Why, why do I, why am I even going to try to like bridge this gap that has happened over the span of years? Um, but that is where the fight actually ha- occurs. Like that's where things are changing. And if we want laws to change 10 years from now, then we need to be able to have a few small uncomfortable moments with each other so that a teenager and a grandmother and, a, and an adult, uh, we together, we can get, to, we can build bonds and realize, you know, like get on the same page with each other and, and support each other. And so, and that's what happened. Like the the following year, uh, by that time, it took me, it took me a year to build trust, and this is where I learned the importance of of this word in this type of work is trust. Who do I think I'm going to just come swoop in here and like everyone's going to trust me? They don't know me. It take I have to prove my commitment. I have to be here, and so that my neighbors can know. Oh yeah, he's he's a part of us. Like yeah. this is he's a, he's a part of our neighbor. By the way. The word she thought was the N word was neighborhood. It was literally, I said the word neighborhood in the song. I took, I, I rewinded the song. I kept listening over and over like, how, where would it come from? It was neighborhood. Um, so yeah, I guess another nod to Mr. Rogers there. So yeah, yeah. won't you be my neighbor? <laughs> yeah. So we, um, yeah, it was, it was, and it was amazing to build so many amazing relationships. What was my new neighborhood at the time? And um, with so many families and neighbors. So this happened a, a few years ago, and it's, as you say, it's all about building building trust. And yeah, you've already mentioned hip hop. What's the main difference between rap and hip hop then? Um, yeah, rap is just it's just basically referring to the MC who is saying poetry rhythmically to the beat. So the rap is when I. When the MC raps, he's spitting his poetry to the beat. That's rap. That's the rap part. And doesn't rap stand for? Uh, isn't well, it an acronym for like r- a rhythmic artistic pr- prose or something? Oh I, no, I've never heard of that one. But that's I could see where you could do that with yeah, that. Yeah, yeah that's nice. I like that. Um, yeah, hip hop is is a little is bigger. It's the it's the the larger cultural and musical and artistic um, expression that was happening when rap was became a thing because um, you're rapping over the beat but what beat are you rapping over oh it's the break beats the djs were finding and repeating on the turntables so those djs were actually you know kind of like that was like the foundation yeah. that then you rap on top of it and so hip-hop more encompasses all the the art forms uh which is the djing emceeing graffiti and b-boying um and then of course there are elements you could talk about like knowledge that was all a part of the culture and all the expressions of of hip-hop culture 
Gucci. So how did you get yeah. involved in this then, Doc? I actually, when I grew up, I wasn't, I didn't hear any rap or hip hop music for a long time. I, I actually wasn't allowed to listen to the radio when I was a kid. Oh, really? Um, uh, yeah. Because? Yeah, it was, it was a, yeah, just, just growing up a, a conservative Christian household mm-hmm. um, and, and, and a, I guess a white conservative Christian household, we stuck to uh, like certain styles of music, which were very limited, limited. Um, and, you know, my parents didn't want me to hear some of the stuff that was on the radio and all that. Um, I'm a parent now, so I respect that. I respect that. You know what I'm saying? But, um, but then my cousin snuck. He's like, yo, I was 12 years old. He snuck. He's like, yo, you got to hear this. And he put the, some headphones on my head and it was Paul Revere by the Beastie Boys. Oh, yeah. And I just remember hearing that beat so loud in my head. These lyrics, like I've never heard like th- that art- articulate and passionate of a expression before. And I was like, yo, I got to know more about this. <laughs> and So that's when I started kind of like trying to figure out how I can listen to what's out there. Um, and then I actually found out about the Christian rap music that was being made too. So I, so I ended up building a whole collection of Christian rap artists because that was something that was more, I was allowed to listen to, um, eventually. And, um, so I got a late start in this, in hip hop music and music in general. I mean, I was already 12 at that point, but I think by 13, I started my own rap group with a couple, uh, of friends of mine from church and saved up my money my first $340 to buy a Roland DR660 drum machine and started making beats at home. And then I, my mom had this old little turntable and I wanted to figure out how do they make those scratchy sounds that I'm hearing on some of the rap, the hip hop records and stuff. So I would scratch with her like little record player. And, and then I, in class, I'd be just in the back of class in English class, bored out of my mind. And I'm writing my writing lyrics down and it just started me on this path of like, I don't know what it was. It was something about as a quiet, shy kid who would never raise my hand in class. I was drawn to like write down my deepest things that are in my heart, like, and with the, try to come up with the most clever thing I could say and write it down on paper. Like I'm preparing my speech for the world to, to hear one day. Yes. Um, I wasn't good with being called on in the moment. I would just freeze but I guess in a way that that helped me to kind of like start preparing my message. And then eventually I got the chance to share a song uh, and, and I rapped in front of people for the first time. Um, and so I, I think r- hip hop helped me build a lot of confidence and help develop my yeah. voice Yeah, yeah. from that, that from that first listen, it was just, it was like sprung from that first listen of uh, down the path of learning, learning hip hop. Wow. I take it now your parents have come around a bit to say, hey. I can- oh, yeah, for sure. Well, that's good. Yeah, sometimes my dad still tries to get me to release like one of my first first few songs that he loved when I wrote him as a teenager. He still wants me to like release those songs. I'm like, Dad, I wrote so many more things since then. But it was a good, good. That's good, was a good supported song. you in that. Yeah. And can I just say, um, for those that want to say, well, Christian rap, have a listen to a chap called T-Bone who you must probably listen to growing up as, and listen to Mad Skills. That's all I'm going to say. It was a track that we first heard of in the, the late 1990s, and I, I couldn't get enough of it because he can't off-rap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So uh, you you obviously were laughing at that because do you know that track? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I definitely grew up listening to T Bone for sure. Yeah. I, there was a moment I had every Christian rap album out on cassette. Hey. And then when they came out on CD, I went and bought all of them. So I had them on all of them on CD. <laughs> yeah, that was a I was a Christian rap junkie, I right. guess back then. How much of a scene is it Christian rap these days? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I haven't really totally delved fully into the Christian rap genre per se for a while. Um, I don't. I don't really look at. I don't like looking at lines. I, I don't even like how it's necessarily called Christian rap. I guess you could say it's like, I, to me, it's hip hop and rap. It's it's art forms. It's yeah. music. It's culture, and we're a part of it. And so, as people, we, we you know regurgitate the things we're going through into songs and put them out into the world. And and um, yeah, I just I, I I don't really like classifying it yes. as much. Um, and I think classifying it can, can really like box you in, I guess you could say. So, well, yeah, what's, I don't, what's coming but, across right now at the moment, though, uh, Doc, is you know your love for rap, your love for hip hop. You know, mm -hmm. it goes all the way for back. Sure. And um, and if you go on your your website, if people go on your website, they'll see some amazing videos of what you're getting up with the kids. And two quotes that really hit me uh, from kids or teenagers, to say, would be um, one: "Music is a way out." And the second one was music saved my life. Mm. So why have you got involved with teenagers of today then yeah. in Cleveland? Yeah. Well, I, I guess I just have to kind of take it back a little bit um, to in my early 20s, I was trying to be an artist. I didn't know what it meant really to be an artist. I mean, I, I was just a starving artist. I was trying to make music and make an album. And I don't really know if I was trying to get a record deal, what I was trying to do, yeah, yeah. but we would do a lot of local shows in Cleveland and we would practice b-boying at the par neighborhood park. So and what do you mean by b-boying? B-boying. Some people, you can call it break dancing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or break dance. Yeah. So we, we, at our shows, we had all the elements, all the four like artistic elements of hip hop. So I would, I was the DJ. I also rapped. We had a couple MCs. We would all break dance. Oh, wow. We would usually have some graffiti like banner up behind us. To, but the break dance part, we would have practices once a week. So we would take our boom box up to the park with some cardboard from what we'd find like someone who just got a refrigerator and they threw the cardboard out and we'd rip it up, tape it together um, and just put it down on the pavement and practice for our next show. And when we would do like all this, the young kids at the park would always come over to us and want to learn some of the moves. And so I remember as the first time this started to happen, I was like, man, wow, what an opportunity. Like all these kids, they want to learn how to like break dance. So, so I started to prepare little like life lessons. I would, sometimes I would take like proverb, uh, proverbs that related to life, but also re could relate to break dancing. And I was like, all right, you, you guys want to learn how to break dance. Let's all sit down on the cardboard. And I just kind of share this little tidbit, this little message for like five minutes with them and then turn on the beats. And we just start, you know, dancing and break dancing and stuff like that. And I love that. And I just knew that like hip hop has like the ear of the youth more so than I think we even realize it. <laughs> like even today I was in class. And I asked the kids in this in a ninth grade class today, 
why what's why is music important to you and almost every student in the class their main reason was they said music is therapy music is how i get through the day music helps me deal with my life from that moment on on the cardboard and those young kids coming up to us all the way to today it's like kids listen to hip hop on the way to school kids listen to the hip hop on the way home from school and actually they're listening to it half of the day now during school in their in their earphones we need to start putting hip hop in the classroom um because it has their attention and not only that it's like it's the language like this hip hop is such a part of our culture and our language and especially like the teenage culture um so to me it's like such an opportunity and so i'm going to fast forward from my 20s to my 30s this is 13 years ago when i was in lived in glenville and i was getting to know the students like that lived on my street and um i was walking around the block i would do prayer walks like around the block because i my one of my prayers was always i just i want to be able to like i want to be useful to my to my neighbors to my neighborhood like is there something that is needed that i could be helpful with is there something through my artistry that i can make make a difference like what's my offering to my community but when you're in a new neighborhood and again it takes time to build trust like you you don't you can't just come and say yo we're doing this today I'm, we're doing i'm like no like it has to be something that comes from within like what did the neighbor what does the, the kids want and i guess doing those prayer walks getting to know the students i remember this one day when the the community development corporation was trying to put out flyers every year they put out flyers how to have a safe neighborhood and our neighborhood did have it was it was very challenging there was a lot of crime and violence in our neighborhood and so they were, they had block clubs to try to for neighbors to work together um and they want to put these flyers on and i was just like you're just going to put a flyer on everyone's door that's going to say you know call the cops like know your neighbor blah 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 and so I propose, I'm like, hey, I think I could invite all the students in our neighborhood and let's have them create their plan for what, how, how they think we can have a safe neighborhood. And I can actually help them write a hip hop song to express their message that then they could share that to the neighbors. Like how yeah. sweet would that be? Yeah. And so they did. They funded our first uh, Fresh Camp program 13 yeah. years ago. And we ran that program and the students got to to make that, that song. But so... Yeah, I think I've always just been drawn through the power of hip hop, like in my own life and and just knowing students, knowing kids. It started with kids on my street. Now it's the kids I visit in schools and I know the demand. This is what we always say, give them what they want and need at the same time. And that, yeah, so that's what we're passionate about is 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 uh, using hip hop as a platform um, to, to help the next tomorrow's change makers you know what i'm saying to like to develop them and help them grow in their leadership so that's how it started all those years ago then by you thinking you could help out in the local community with with hip-hop yep that's how it started yeah wow and then what happened then once you got up and running what happened next yeah so 13 years ago we did our summer camp program the first summer and in my mind i'm like whoa that really worked like we got to find, I have to find, I have to find, yeah. <laughs> we learned some lessons along the way, yeah. learn how to pronounce my words better. Um, and, um, but I was like, I need to find, figure out how to find funding 
for next summer's camp. And mm. keep in mind, like I was a starving artist. I'm my craft is making music and working with and in student engagement. But I was never trained in, to become an executive director of a nonprofit organization. I wasn't trained in finance. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I'd never knew what a grant was at that time. I've never run a fundraising campaign, but I knew I had to find enough funding to do the camp next summer. But then the students were like, yo, 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 when are we going to get to come over again? They didn't want to wait till next summer. They wanted something like right now. And so I was like, oh man, we got to figure this out quicker. And so I started an after school program just for a few students on my street. At that time, it was in my house. I had my studio in my house and they would just come over and I created our first program at the time, which was for us to interview our neighbors. And then we got came back together and said, all right, what did our neighbors all, what were their stories? What did they say? Yes. How could we tell their stories? And so I commissioned these students to write songs about our neighbors and to tell our neighbors stories. Um, and that was the second program. And then a school called and said, we heard about your program. We'd like you to come to our school, a drug treatment center I got connected with. And so I started running hip hop songwriting programs at the drug treatment center. And it pretty quickly, um, just the demand for it. I never could quite keep up with like funding all the time because the demand was is so huge. And I didn't start off wanting to create a organization that would be in multi-cities. I just wanted to create something that was going to be viable for the kids in my neighborhood. And I knew there was enough kids in my one neighborhood. I could have been, I literally could have just spent the rest of my life serving kids only in that one neighborhood of Cleveland. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but then as, as things grew, we, uh, we, yeah, I just, I have a, a huge learning curve to learn how to start a nonprofit organization and do fundraising and grow a team. Well, you say multi-city, uh, yeah. bring us up to speed now. Where are you now? Oh, yeah, yeah. So right now we're in Cleveland and in Cincinnati. Both are in the state of Ohio. Cleveland's at the top. Cincinnati's at the bottom. And um, in Cleveland, we have a standalone studio space where students come after school and we run our summer hip hop programs. We also visit about six or seven Cleveland City schools and run programs in the schools. We, we help schools build recording studios and then run programming um, in the school, in the studio. Um, and then we just built a, a recording studio in, I'm, I can't say the actual name of it, of the runner contract. So yeah. um, it's a, a children's hospital in Cleveland that um, we have a studio that we built and we're running special curriculum for students that are in there. And wow. in Cincinnati, we have a, full-time uh, studio classroom in the Cincinnati public schools with full-time artists that teach there. And we also have our print and embroidery shop, which is in Cincinnati. A print and embroidery shop. Yeah. 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 So in interesting story of how that started. Yeah. You, if you say you're a hip hop education organization, why do you have a print shop? Um, but actually what happened in the, in the timeline about five years in where we had a lot of students were coming over my house um, to do after school program. We started building partnerships with other places in the neighborhood and doing programs there. And I, I thought to myself, I'm pretty sure the students would love, again, a lot of things start with what would the students want? Yeah. They would love to learn how to print, to make their own t-shirt designs because ah, I mean, every band has merch, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so here we are 
we're the, we're this band. We're this like huge band of all these students making songs, doing concerts. We need our own merch. But I didn't want to, you know, pay another print shop to print them. I wanted to show the students, here's how you can do it yourself. Because this is something in hip hop history too, is entrepreneurialism and yeah. trying to figure out a way um, to find that ownership. And I want you to know, I, I, we always wanted students to learn how to do every aspect of the project. And so with the, just like in the music recording, we teach them how to do every aspect from the writing of the lyrics, making the music, recording it, mixing, mastering it to the t-shirts. We wanted them to learn how to design, how to silk screen, how to sell them out of their trunk <laughs> and that kind of thing. Um, and so we started a t-shirt line and the, we collaborated with the students to create the designs. The first time we did this, I, I bought a, it was a 100, it was $99 it was a DIY print screen printing kit. Um, I set it up in another bedroom and we had a big house. It was like a really old big house in Glenville. And uh, we had a studio in one room and then we had the print shop in the other room. I I made a bathroom into a dark room. Uh, (laughs) It was a mess. It was a mess. I taught myself how to screen print. And then we taught the students how to screen print. Luckily no one got burnt too bad. Oh, they burnt a lot of shirts. And, um, and then, we created a booth to start selling the shirts at, at craft fairs as a way to earn income for our organization, for our free hip hop program for kids. And um, the, another of the, the reasons why we did this is it's kind of social enterprise within, within our nonprofit is I was trying to find a way to help create jobs for our students. And so by, by doing this, students, they printed the shirts they, they would set up and run the booth at the craft fairs mm-hmm. and, and, um, and sell all day long. And so these were the first jobs that we were able to create for our students. And they're just out there at the craft fair sharing our message of what we do with hip hop and selling a ton of shirts. Um, and we sold a lot of shirts, man. People loved our shirts. Um, and we were doing, we were doing craft fairs. I, we took kids to, I'd say 20 to 25 craft fairs every year for a few years before COVID. I mean, and we would, we would just, they'd all get in the van. We would drive to Atlanta and Detroit and Washington, DC, set up, set up the booth and sell the shirts. It was just an amazing, amazing experience for all the, all the students. Wow. But like you say, it's entrepreneurial. That's one word. It's all part of it. If you're in a pop band, rock band, whatever, you go to gig, there's the merch there. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, and it's powerful because you have, you talked about the B fly breakthrough earlier. Like Mm. I have that that shirt. So we almost every song we've made, there's a shirt design to go with it because this is, this is our message. So what the things that we're learning, our teachers and our students are learning together and they make those songs, those theme songs for their lives. We got to put that on a shirt so we can wear that. And that's a part of us. And it's power. It's just, it's powerful. And, um, so other people started being like, hey, some schools were like, we'd rather let you guys print our material and let you get supported. Do you guys print for other people? And we're like, okay, fine, let's try it. <laughs> and, um, and then we started building clientele of, of, of companies and individuals that just, we would just, they paid us to print as a print shop. Wow. Um, so that grew and now it's, it's grown and now our print shop's actually in Cincinnati and um, yeah, we're a full service print and embroidery shop. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, that's really encouraging to those that are saying, do you know what? I need to do something. And if you've got a hobby 
and it's you realise it's more than a hobby, and then you play the C yeah. word, as in, I'm a Christian, this is what Christ wants me to go into. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. amazing what can happen as a development of that. But like yeah. you're saying, it's all part yeah. of the neighbourhood. You're getting to know the neighbours. Yeah. And something you just mentioned yeah. well, a few minutes ago, and obviously I don't want you to break contract, another C word, um, and it's a hospital. How, mm. you, how come you got involved in a hospital? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the story there... I'll tell you part of the backstory just because this is a good example of, well, I don't know. I think when you do, when you're doing the work that is in front of you to do, yeah, it's the organicness of it, of how it spreads. That's um, creates some really cool connections. And um, we did a project called drop the lead where we educated students about lead poisoning in our neighborhood, which we had a huge problem with lead paint in Cleveland. Oh, really? um, and, we knew that a lot of students really, it didn't seem to them. It was just like lead paint. Come on, man. Like we got way more worse things to deal with in our neighborhood. Let's talk about gun violence. Let's talk about police brutality. Let's talk about, you know, no jobs in the summertime. Let's talk about like violence on the street. So we turned it into, okay, this is, this project's going to be called drop. It's about the two lead problems in Cleveland, gun violence and lead poisoning. And one of the students drew this amazing uh, t-shirt design, which is the picture of a gun and the bullets are flying out of the gun, but then they morph into a paintbrush and then the paintbrush is dripping down and, and then the, it's like a pile of bullets at the bottom. Oh, wow. Um, because both of these problems were hurting and destroying lives in our neighborhoods. And um, so that project, I think we just, we created it. We were able to perform around Cleveland at different events. And I think it was really educational for a lot of the students involved. Um, and then a couple years later, I got a random call. This was after the first summer of COVID. I got a call from a therapist um, at a hospital. And she said that they had seen, since COVID started, they'd seen gun violence wounds increase dramatically. And so that means that more Cleveland kids were um, ended up in the hospital because of gun violence than before COVID and that made her remember us and remember she had heard about our drop to lead that we we work with students. We talk about gun violence and these issues using hip hop and they just felt like hip hop would be a perfect addition because a lot, again, what do students want? A lot of the students they knew were into, into music, into hip hop music. Um, and so, yeah, they, they put a little request together and we were able to, you know, put that plan in action and we created a unique curriculum to use with students one-on-one where our artists, they go in the hospital, they work um, with a student. And, and these students are students who have a, a change in their, in their, uh, their ability or their, in their body, like could be from disease or violence or an accident. And so they're, they're, they're living there for a while to kind of get ready, you know, get rehabilitated, learn how to use a wheelchair or whatever it might be. And so this curriculum is using the, the metaphor of a butterfly and this three stages of development from caterpillar to chrysalis to getting your earning your wings. And this studio is kind of like, well, the the whole hospital is, and this studio is, it's like a, this chrysalis moment for them to process their fears, process the pain um, and let those things transform into new skills and new strength that become your wings. And so the students, they go through this whole butterfly curriculum and write their own theme song for the change they're experiencing and, and how they're going to come out 
break through the chrysalis and become the butterfly. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So how many hospitals do you think will be coming on board in the future then, do you think, with this? I don't know. I mean, we're, we're just, we're just, right now we're just preparing to um, do this well. And, and it all start. you know, I, I didn't say this earlier, but love your neighbor is one of our core, the things that are core. And I think this is why I, I started this stuff for my neighbors, but actually the kids that were my neighbors on my street. And then it just developed. And yeah, it's like right now, now these new students are being that are going through a tough time of transition in their lives. Like that, they are our neighbor and it's a privilege to get to know them. Um, and we wouldn't have got to know them if we weren't in this situation. And our job is to love them well and help them in their breakthrough moment. And um, yeah, I don't, you know, well, I'm, I'm sure that, I mean, I know it's going to be a success and then therefore it, I know, I, I mean, I'm, you don't have to convince me that it's going to work and that it should work and it's going to work um, all over. So we're, uh, yeah, we're, we're not getting too caught up in the future, but just trying to serve the students we're with now and then let the growth happen as we get the opportunity. And do you know what's brilliant is that you're just out there. And as I said earlier on, this is a, this is your life, right? This is your hobby. It's more than a hobby. Right, you're out there. You're living much it. More. You're, much more. <laughs> you're breathing it. Everything else like yeah. that. Yeah. How many people come up to you and say, "Hey, you're a Christian as well. How can you be a Christian and into hip hop?" What'd you say? If someone would ask me that now, I mean, honestly, that it's it sounds absurd to me now. Like, I remember that question when I was a kid, when I was like in Sunday school or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was just like you listen to the rap, you listen to the bad rap music on the radio or something like that. But now, I mean, now it's just, I don't have time for that. Like, I really don't have time for that. And I don't even understand. I can't even understand that question really. Like when hip hop is such a, such a rich, no, let me take that back. Maybe I do understand that question because I, I have, I have students now that grew up listening to hip hop and rap music. Mm -hmm. Some students have been very, they've only heard a certain style of artist, and they actually don't. So check, this is what's crazy. They, a lot of some, some students don't realize how much positivity and how much hip hop is actually changing the world and has changed the world in so many amazing ways. Um, it's just, it got, it got limited by, I think like, certain styles and certain messages that do come through rap music too. So, um, yeah, I guess I'm kind of going back and forth on one hand. I think it's absurd if some, for someone at this stage of the game, when hip hop literally has spread all around the world to add, for someone to just have that kind of perception of, of like, I mean, I mean, you have, you have jazz, you have hip hop. I mean, you wouldn't say that about jazz, would you? Would someone ask that about jazz? I don't know. Maybe someone would, but <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. But then at the same token, if I'm saying that people who listen to rap might actually not know all the good that comes from it and it, yeah. the whole fullness of the culture, of course, there's a lot of people that don't listen to hip hop on a regular basis that probably have a don't have the full understanding of how big and you know how big hip hop actually is as a as a culture. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 So where where is this going to take you? Do you think over the next few years? Where where are we going to see 
DJ Hawk. Doc. DJ Doc. DJ Doc. DJ Hawk. That's yeah. I could change my name. Yeah, I just created another character for you. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm in kind of a transition right now because I'm I'm 46, almost 46 and a half, and I started as a hip hop artist that started creating these programs for youth. And that's what I did all day long. I would just be with kids all day long and after school. And I loved it. But now with the growth we've experienced, now I find myself as the executive director. Mm -hmm. We have a team of artists that we're training and deploying in different scenarios. We're in two cities. And so my role has really drastically changed, particularly like this past year where I don't teach in the, really in the classroom anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm more on the leadership level and supporting and nurturing our, our artists, yeah. teachers. So for me, it's just like a big, it's a big, it's kind of, it's just a transition moment. I guess I'm in my chrysalis now. I'm yeah. in a new, new level of chrysalis now. So, what kind of so I, are you be I'm, so I'm, I'm, I'm flexing my new wings, my new, my, my, my fledgling wings of, um, of leading the organization and growing a team and um, seeing where this leads. Wow. Any ideas where you're going to be flying with your new wings? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that right now we're we some of our our cipher style pedagogy that you referred to earlier, um, which is um, so the learning educational style that we've developed through the years, using a lot of hip hop principles and background and music, um, is something that we've been pouring a lot of time and energy into. To create, to, to create and allow the, what we're doing to be able to be spread and so that we can support other artists that want, have this, the heart to, to, to love their neighbors, love the students and support the next, uh, basically to support tomorrow's change makers like we do, but don't have the experience that we do um, using hip hop in the classroom. And so we want to be able to be a resource and train artists to to be able to like take those roles because it's one thing to be a hip hop artist. Um, but then there's also like being a teacher and working with students is a whole other thing. And so, um, yeah, we just, we just try to put those together. And uh, one of my kind of visions and beliefs is that we need a recording studio in every single neighborhood yeah. with mentors in place to run programs that are going to really help kids grow. And I think that's starting to happen. You, you are starting to see recording studios pop up in libraries and schools, well, now in hospitals. And so I think it's just, it's a matter of time, but just like you have, you do have libraries and basketball courts in, in uh, uh, neighborhoods all across the USA. Um, I think, yeah, kids want and need this in their lives. And so the future of, of creating videos and music and multimedia. Um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's practical skill sets that kids need on top of everything we talked about with personal growth and the artistic side. So, yeah, I think, I think that's something that we're going to see. And that's what we're working toward too, is, is to be able to resource teachers in schools and in neighborhood studio spaces to, uh, to mentor kids well. Well, you've certainly been flying the flag for all things hip hop, and I, I do get what you're saying. By the way, about the, the Christian question I was asking you, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you weren't being flippant at all because you know you're just living and breathing it. Yeah. But 
If I could just, uh, in the remaining time we've got, actually ask you a, a deep, meaningful, personal question, if that's right, Doc, on this. Yeah. Is that, you know, I said right at the front end, for those that uh, listen to us every week will know that I'm saying that uh, off-grid Christianity is for the people who are disillusioned. Mm-hmm. The fact that you're in hip-hop, the fact that you're out there living it, breathing it, and trying to get alongside of you, uh, alongside other people, how disillusioned have you been, and how has your faith helped you bring yourself out of disillusionment? I mean, I still, I, I, I attend a church right now. I, well, here's a small story. The other day I was hanging out with some guys, some good friends. And one of the guys was kind of, kind of checking up on the other guy. Cause yeah. the other guy had, his family had stopped going to this church for a few weeks now. And he was kind of like, yo, what's going on? Kind of stopped going. And he was like, yeah, he was basically like, we're kind of disillusioned right now uh, with, some of the things that were said on, you know, from stage and, um, MC post. I, my response to that, I guess now having now, um, I guess like living life four and a half decades, mm. um, is yeah. You know, if I don't disagree with more than maybe, I don't know, 35% of what's said at any given church, then I'm cool with it because nobody is right. Like nobody is all right. Like, Everybody has things they're saying, they're doing that are that are off or that that especially I'm going to disagree with or find something that I could be disillusioned about. So I definitely stopped looking for the perfect place, the perfect people, the perfect church. Um, And I think I see church now a little more like I see my neighborhood. Did I get disillusioned in my neighborhood that I lived in? I mean, I got held up at gunpoint one day. That definitely could make you like a little disillusioned in your neighborhood. Um, What happened? Yeah. You know, different things have different things happened. And um, at the end of the day, like it's my neighborhood. Like I live here and I was also getting to know my neighbors next to me from kids to old grandmothers, like, and people who like, my life was so changed just by getting to know them that sure. I I could, we were all somewhat disillusioned with some of the things happening in our neighborhood, but disillusionment didn't mean we're going to leave. It's just, I've learned to live with disillusionment, I guess is what I'm getting. What I'm getting at here is like, when you talk about the church, where you talk about politics or anything, I could, I could, I could live with disillusionment. And, but what I'm doing is I'm just, trying to dig toward the where to find the gold, like where's the treasure at. And so when I'm in, if I'm at church or in my neighborhood, we're, we're digging for the treasure. Um, here, I'm going to take this a separate direction here for a second. I know I grew up in a certain, in a denomination where, and a lot of Christian denominations do this, where they think they're the only ones that's right. And so the one that, you know, I grew up in, of course, like all the other denominations were wrong and I should never go to like, a college that's not inside of your own like circle. Um, and so, so what happens, like you actually grow up for like for a while, you only know people in this one church and this one denomination. And you're told like, you can't really trust or get to know other Christians if they go to the church across the street. But when I was living in Cleveland, trying to love my neighbors, what I found is just doing the work of cultivating relationships and love in my neighborhood and asking God to to like 
be with me and help me like love and be a blessing and, and help me learn from others. I met people, so many people in my neighborhood, man, that slowly you're like, yo, wait a minute. What did she just say? Like, she sounds like she's a woman of faith. Like, wait, what did he say? He, there was something in there that I connected with. And then you st- I start learning like, do I need to find out exactly what they believe or what denomination they're part of? Not really, actually, at the end of the day. We just kept relating and pretty soon it was like my, what I would consider my church was so many people of faith, like a lot of, a lot in the Christian faith that all go to different denominational churches that have a little different belief systems. But here we were loving each other, loving our neighborhood together, like seeing transformation happening, dealing with some of the issues like gun violence in our neighborhood, planting urban gardens and showing the students how to grow their own vegetables and doing hip hop camps was all birthed out of like the doing, like it's like, it's like the being and the doing, not the like sitting and thinking and analyzing and creating a belief, thinking about belief systems and stuff like that. And so I guess there has been a season in my life where I felt like I was definitely trying to get outside of like the, at least the Christian bubble I was in. But at the same time now, it's like what I learned in my neighborhood was actually would actually tell me, no, I shouldn't live outside of anyone. So what? definitely not the like Christian bubble heritage denomination that I grew up in because they also have so much treasure that I need. <laughs> and so, so I don't know, I guess that's my story of, of how the disillusionment I've experienced through my life. Um, and just kind of like letting myself grow with what I'm learning, but how I treat the people and how, to me, how that relates with God and, and the church overall. Yeah. And the $64,000 question would be then, if you could just give me one time where you can say, I really felt God using me in hip hop. What would, what, <laughs> what would come from one, time. <laughs> one time? Okay. Uh, one time. Oh I man. One time. Oh man. Well, I could say it. Let me say it like this. The time when I was at the neighborhood park and I thought I was all being all cool, doing the cool program for the kids. And then the old grandmothers said that I said the N word. Yeah. The the story I told earlier. I can say that actually that experience there, I look at that and say that was God doing something. He was, he was working on race, the racism, the prejudices, the hurt that's been built up in people's lives. Like, like my own, my wrong perspectives, the hurt that these grandmothers have experienced was being dealt with in that moment. And I was just, I was glad now looking back, it's like, I was so glad to be in that moment, that sensitive moment to be able to not lash, lash out to them because of my own ego, but instead keep my hands open and say, yo, I'm, I'm so sorry that you heard that. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to keep doing this until hopefully you, you see me in a different light. And, and that happened. So I've had a lot of experiences uh, through hip hop and working with my neighbors and the students. Yeah. I don't even, I could talk all day about stories, <laughs> but there's one. 
There's a, there's a story that I already told earlier, so I don't have to tell it again. Yeah, that's a story <laughs> as well. I'm just hoping that the the grandmothers that misheard you with the yeah. with the, the neighbor word, um, yeah. that if you bumped into them now, you'd be able to have a laugh about it. Absolutely, man. Yeah, I um, I had a speaking of grandmothers. I had a grandmother call me the other day, and she, her her grandson is in college now. He went through our program from since he was ninth grade through, and now he's in college. And she called to tell me that he had to write a paper for English class at college about uh, an experience or that really changed them. And he wrote a, he wrote the whole paper about me and our relationship of me coming in his classroom and helping him write his first song and how that developed and how it helped him grow as a person. Um, And, and I know him really well. I've seen such amazing trans like growth and uh, yeah, just that, Sometimes I don't, many times I don't get to see the fruit of the labor, but sometimes we do get to see it and we do get a thank you and, and a student calls or a grandmother calls like this, or we, or we, we see it right in front of our eyes too. But um, yeah, you, but I, I would say you probably see only 1% of the good that is happening through the work, but that, that 1% is, is golden, man. Yeah. Well, Keeps me going. We're running out of time too. Quick questions. Yeah. That's right. You did mention you were held up at gunpoint. When was that, and what happened? Oh, um, like well, it happened twice. Uh, once I uh, got home late, and this is why I learned not to wear headphones when you come home. I had headphones on. I got home, opened my doors late at night, and I couldn't hear someone was coming right at me with a, a gun in my face. Um, and he pulled me around the back of the house. It was pitch black out, and made me go on my knees had the gun like on the back of my head, tapping it on the back of my head, taking the money and phone out of my pocket. And I just got married um, that year. So I had my new wedding ring and he's like, you know, take, take that ring off. And I was like, dude, I was like, no way, dude. And I was like, no, I can't get it off. And then I'm like, so then I was like, what do I do? I started faking. Like I couldn't get it off. And I'm like, no, I can't get it off. And he's like, starts counting down. He's like 10, nine, eight, and I'm like, yo, what am I going to do? I'm, I'm still, and I'm, I'm trying to act like I'm, and I was scared. I was really scared, but I was trying to act like I was like really scared. And I'm like, I can't get it off. I can't get it off. Even though I knew I could, he's like five, four. And I'm like thinking, how long should I wait? Three, two. And then I was about to take it off <laughs> and he stops counting and then he just leaves. And um, what's crazy is it turns out, I found out that he was a teenager that lived right down the street he actually sometimes would cut through and walk through my yard um one of the other kids in the neighborhood knew him and yeah that was a crazy experience because everything in me wanted him to become now the enemy and i wanted to say who was it that that pulled a gun on me and could pull a gun on my family i'm looking up and down the street and here i am looking at every black teenager in my street which everyone was and and thinking was it him and it was just like, no, I can't, I can't do that. I can't think that. And I had, I had to, I had to kind of flip it and say, you know what, man, it doesn't matter really who it was because the last thing I want to do is sit here and put that on someone else. That's not that person. Um, and then when I found out who it was too, I had to prepare myself and say, if I got the chance to talk to him, what would I, 
and what would I say and how would I treat him? And I had to forgive. I just had to forgive him in my heart and be like, start thinking like, why did he, how did he get to the point where when he was 16, that he felt like he had to have a gun and hold up people to gain $85 in their pocket? Because there's actually reasons why he got in, put in that situation. That's not the situation I was put into. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that, that I think like I really have to grapple with and we have to grapple with. Yeah. And, and just more of why we are trying to just love uh, on the teenagers of our city and help them deal with the things that they've been given and the things that they've gone through. Um, so yeah, that was that experience. What happened to a teenager? Him, I don't know. I, I, he ended up in jail from, for a couple of other, he had, I mean, obviously he was doing that a lot. So he, not because of the the one, not because of what he did to me, but from some other ones, he ended up in jail and I don't know what happened after that. Yeah. Wow. Well, I could listen to you for ages. Uh, I won't persecute you anymore with, with questions, sir, <laughs> uh, except, for the, except for the final one, if that's okay. And uh, I ask every yeah. person to do this. Uh, DJ Doc Harrell, please tell mm-hmm. me. Who your Christian hero is, please. Yeah, man. Okay. I'm so I love this question. Um, there's an artist, he's a hip hop artist that um his name was D Boy Rodriguez from Dallas, Texas. I grew up listening to his album. Well, he, he only had two two main albums. They came out in nineteen eighty nine and then nineteen ninety. And at that time in my life, hip hop was new to me. I was eating his lyrics up and so many other people too were like he is he was he was like one of the first just truly amazing christian rap lyricists let's face it there was some pretty there was some whack stuff out there that wasn't as high level of skill as mm-hmm. d-boy rodriguez was particularly on his second album but by the time I, I was i bought his cd and i was at home listening to his album he at that point he was like my hero at that point already um and then i heard the news that he had he had gotten shot and actually he didn't even see his second album hit this hit the shelves he was already gone but what he did he was known for get not saying turning down concerts because he had events that he was taking his kids to from his neighborhood and he worked with his parents his parents had a street church he worked with them and he and it was a lot of gang violence in in that area of Dallas and so he was helping students kind of get out of gangs and through through hip hop like and just mentoring them like and he was a young dude at the time and when i heard about what he was doing i think that was another thing that really put me on the trajectory i'm on um and i think yeah in, in a big way i just i feel like i'm i'm kind of living out part of his legacy cuz it got it got taken from him um and i and and I, and i hope i'm doing some of what the things he was doing at that time yeah d-boy rodriguez the strength of a lyrical. What did the D stand for in D boy? Danny. Danny Rodriguez. Danny boy. Danny boy. I believe. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Listen, it's been brilliant. Thank you mm-hmm. so much, Doctor, yeah, for talking to us, and uh, Dude, we look Martin, forward to catching with you again. Thank you so much. Yes. Cheers. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. Welcome. Cheers. God bless. <laughs>